Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm excited to welcome alum and patent attorney Paul Johnson to the show. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. It's great to be here. Paul, we're so excited to have you. You know, this month, we're really exploring the College of Science and some possible career paths that that can lead to. Um, Paul, you have a really interesting career slash educational journey that I'm I'm excited to start with. Um, You got a degree in physics, but here you are today um, doing doing law. So talk to us about kind of that career timeline of how did this all get started? Yeah. So um, after high school, I went on a two-year religious mission. And when I got back, I went to the University of Utah for one semester. Uh, I was studying electrical engineering and um, riding the bus to and from school. Um, And one of my neighbors uh, also rode that bus. And so we, we, anytime we were on there together, I'd sit and we'd talk together. Um, But during that semester, there was a class that I really didn't enjoy very much. Uh, C++ programming. And um, I I was very unhappy. Part of the issue also was that I was commuting rather than living on campus. It wasn't a great college experience for me. It works for some people. It wasn't wasn't great for me. Um, Anyways, uh, uh, this friend uh, was was a mentor in my neighborhood, and um, he is an attorney, was and is an attorney. And um, he uh, was asking me how things were going, and I told him that I, I wasn't really enjoying it. And he asked me what I had been interested in in high school. And I told him that I really liked uh, mathematics and physics. Um, and he told me, oh, you ought to go get a degree in physics and become a patent attorney. Um, turns out that to be a patent attorney, you have to have a hard science background. Uh, it's one of the requirements to even become a patent attorney. and so. Um, I, I talked to some patent attorneys, did a little bit of research into the career and decided it was something that I wanted to do. And now here I am. Wow. Well, I love that that really speaks to um, the importance of, of reaching out to professionals in the field. As a career coach, we oftentimes send students and, and we say, go talk to somebody who is doing the job that you're interested in to get that firsthand experience of what is it like. So I love that you were able uh, to do that. And it also, I think your story really speaks to the importance of networking. Again, you reached out and you know had this mentorship and that was able to kind of uh, guide you. So I love, I love both of those um, pieces to your story. I'm really curious, you know, Paul, for folks who are listening and thinking, what exactly is a patent attorney? Like, give us in a really just kind of general description, like what what kind of work does that entail? Yeah, so um, I am in the business of helping people, companies, whoever, obtain patents. And a patent gives the patent holder the right to, you know, exclude others from importing the same invention or you know, manufacturing the same invention, those sorts of things. They can't do that if you own the patent. Well, they can, but if you own the patent, you can sue them and try and get them to stop. Um, and so that that's what I do. I help people get those patents. I do not enforce the patents. There are other attorneys at my firm that are uh, litigators. They, they get involved in the enforcement side of things. I, I'm just on the side of helping people or companies get the patents. 
I love that. Great. And, and talk us through like maybe like a typical day in the life of Paul. Like what does this actually look like on the day-to-day basis? What kinds of tasks or activities or, or things are you doing? Uh, so I talk and or email. I definitely email clients, but I, I often talk to clients on a daily basis, uh, taking invention disclosures or, you know, they'll have questions pop up about um, maybe they have a, a competitor uh, that has a patent that issued and they're worried about whether or not their product X infringes on this new patent that their competitor comes out. So I'm, I talk to clients daily, um, uh, but most of what I'm doing during the daytime is uh, drafting a patent application or responding to an office action. Uh, an office action is just a com- communication from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, that says whether or not they think you can get a patent for the patent application you filed. Um, and most of the issues that we deal with are where the patent office has found a prior art reference that they think uh, is the same as or similar to what you're trying to claim. Um, and if that's the case, then you have to convince the patent office that there are differences in what you're trying to claim, or you can modify what you're trying to claim based on whatever you have disclosed in your patent application so you can make your claim narrower to try and overcome those references. So a lot of what I'm doing is uh, like sitting at a computer typing, you know, drafting responses or um, new patent applications or analyzing prior art references that the patent office has cited. So yeah, yeah, that's the day-to-day. Awesome. I'm really curious. So this physics background, I don't know that your typical person would really connect kind of these two ideas of like hmm, physics and then patent lawyer. So I'm curious, you know, what, where's the crossover? Like, where do you see, you know, what you've kind of learned in that educational and, and also in your law degree, where do you see some of that education kind of coming into play in the everyday or maybe kind of overall in the, in the big picture? Yeah. So, um, patents, uh, you can only get a patent for, um, inventions and inventions usually involve technology. And so I use my physics background um, anytime I'm going through a new invention disclosure uh, or, uh, you know, responding to an office action, I have to be able to understand the technology that the invention involves. So, you know, I do things in, I actually do a lot of software, ironically, you know, (laughs) intro to C++ programming is what weeded me out of the electrical engineering program. Uh, But uh, half of what I do is software related. Interesting. Um, and the, the good news for any of you out there that um, maybe want to be a patent attorney but aren't interested in actual coding, that is totally fine. You don't have to know how to code to write and prosecute software patents. Interesting. Um, it, it just doesn't get down to that level. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So this kind of moves me into a next question I wanted to ask, which is really about the skill sets involved for this type of work. So I'm curious, you know, as you think about maybe the technical side of things, but also maybe more of the interpersonal communication leadership skills, what comes to mind, you know, if you were talking to a student, what kinds of skills would you say, you know what, a patent attorney really needs to have X set of skills? Well, you really need to know how to write clearly. Um, yeah, so the English classes classes you may think you don't need if you're going into physics or engineering or whatever. Um, if you want to become a patent attorney, you need to be able to really handle yourself well with the written word. Um, 
you need to be able to express yourself clearly and have good grammar and all the sorts of things you would expect from somebody that writes things for a living. Definitely. Um, in terms of personal interactions, patent attorneys are an interesting group. Uh, patent prosecutors, which is what I do, trying to obtain patents, uh, a lot of times um, we're described as kind of lone wolves in a sense. We, we typically work on our own. Uh, litigators, on the other hand, it's a much more collaborative environment. They're in each other's offices all the time talking to each other, whereas patent attorneys, you're, you're given a project and uh, you just kind of roll with it. That's not to say that I don't sometimes talk to my other prosecution colleagues. Maybe I'll have a question that comes up about. Um, so, so there was in 2014, there was a new Supreme Court case that came out uh, that made it easy to reject claims as being directed to abstract ideas. And there have been all sorts of cases and rules that have come out of the, the federal circuit court of appeals and from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office around what constitutes an abstract idea and whatnot. And so sometimes it's really complex and can be difficult. And we, we can recognize these up front when we're drafting your application. And so this is one of those things where I might go and talk to one of my colleagues. Hey, I've got this uh, particular invention. I think I'm going to get an abstract idea rejection. What do you think about X, Y, and Z if I try and so, so basically, you're trying to address those rejections that you're ex fairly confident you're going to get later. You want to address those up front and have ammunition within your patent application to, to address those when they come. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Those are, those are some great examples. Great. Well, I would love to hear, again, if you were speaking to a student and the student is saying, maybe I'm kind of interested in this field, but I don't really know how to get started or test it out. What are some entry-level jobs or internships or, or even just experiences you might recommend a student seek out to kind of test pilot this field? Uh, you could get some tangential experience as a legal assistant um, if you wanted to, if you were in the right location and you, or, or maybe a, a remote opportunity, if you could get on as a legal assistant for a patent attorney, uh, you would get some exposure. And actually, it would be very beneficial when you actually become a patent attorney to know the ins and outs of how to prepare and file things. Sure. Sometimes your assistant's out sick or, you know, whatever. You're, maybe you're up working late, you're pulling an all-nighter for, uh, you've got to get something filed because of an imminent public disclosure, uh, then you may be up all night and you need to get it filed uh, without your assistant. So that would actually help and would, would give you some, some good knowledge to have. Uh, you can also become a patent agent before becoming a patent attorney. To become a patent agent, all you have to do is have the hard science background. So you actually have to have the degree, your bachelor, at least a bachelor's degree, um, and then you can take the patent uh, exam that's administered by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and you could work as a um, patent agent if you're not ready to commit to the three years of law school. There's a significant pay gap, but uh, it's something that you, it, it's still a, a good job. It's a good career, um, but something you can do if you're you're not ready to commit to three years. Law, law school is hard, and it's three more years on top of your 40-year degree. Definitely. Those are some great points and, and, and tips for students who are maybe considering this career path. Paul, I would love to ask you, for you personally, what has been some of the most maybe difficult or challenging aspects of this work? And then on the flip side, what has been some of the most rewarding pieces of the work? 
Yeah. So um, the first year or two of being a patent attorney, you're dealing with two learning curves. The first learning curve is a patent. It's kind of the legal side, becoming a patent attorney and knowing how to, I mean, claim drafting when you're doing a new patent application, there's a lot, there's a lot to it and you need to understand the legal side to be able to do that. Um, You need to learn how to work with clients. You need to learn how to draft patent applications. There are some, uh, different courses you can take in law school for um, becoming a patent attorney, but you might draft one, you know, you might draft a few claims uh, in a drafting class in law school, but I draft claims several times a week, at least. Um, I respond to office actions several times a week, you know, yeah. so uh, you, really you have to learn on the job. There's only so much you can learn in law school. Um And then the other learning curve is the technology. You get exposed to new technologies that you are just not familiar with. Um, I have a physics degree. It gave me a good foundation, but I was doing a lot of, um, I don't know, uh, cellular communications and uh, fiber optic communications, both software, firmware, and the actual hardware, physical layer hardware. Um, and so these were all brand new technologies to me that I was not exposed to in my uh, bachelor's degree. Um, I, I have mentioned, I want to mention that uh, you can go more than a bachelor's degree and still become a patent attorney. You can have a master's, you can have a doctorate. Uh, anyways, some of the more rewarding things have actually been the exposures to new technologies. I get to see new technologies on a regular basis. Um, a lot of times they're just kind of incremental improvements. Uh, but I do work with a number of universities and those are some of the funnest because they're like cutting edge sorts of things. They're not necessarily um, concerned about whether it's uh, something that can be commercialized. Uh, and so they make a lot of times more significant uh, technological steps. It's uh, And all clients are not created equally. So this is another thing that's been challenging. Um, some of the clients I work with have technologies that doesn't particularly interest me. Um, and it, it's not as fun to work on, but you know, it's, it is what it is. It's part of the job. Yeah. And the other thing that's been rewarding about my job has been, uh, the people I work with. I work at a firm with, I love the, my colleagues. It's really a great work environment where I'm at. That's great. And actually a perfect lead in. Cause I did want to just touch on you describing the work environment itself. Um, again, kind of on the day-to-day. So it sounds like lots of phone calls, lots of talking to your clients, um, emailing, anything else you would add to kind of the work environment of what somebody could expect if they, they were to go into this field. Um, oh boy. Uh, you, you should expect when you first start that you're going to be terrible at it. Um, but if you're at a law firm and you're getting trained, then they will appreciate and know that you're going to be terrible at it. Uh, but just, you know, I guess you you need to be open to, um, feedback. Um, some people are better at giving it than others, but when you get feedback, make sure that you, um, internalize it and implement it going forward. That can be really frustrating. I've been training new attorneys for you know, more than a decade. And that can be very frustrating when you give feedback and they, and you have to tell them two or three times. And by the third or fourth time, uh, you're kind of done working 
with that new attorney. So yeah, definitely as a new attorney, you need to uh, pay attention and uh, learn from the feedback that you get. Um, just be nice, be nice to people. Sometimes attorneys have inflated opinions of themselves and they can be real jerks in their interactions with, uh, with other attorneys and uh, also especially with staff. Um, and your people are not going to want to work with you if you're like that. So just be nice. You, you can be, you can be a good advocate for your client. Uh, so whether you're working with staff or other attorneys at your firm or the patent and trademark examiners, you know, in somewhat adversarial settings, you can still be nice without being a, a complete jerk while still uh, representing your client. Well, that's great advice. And Paul, I hope you don't mind me asking this question, but it, you know, I was thinking, especially as a, a new attorney, what was it like to ask questions? Because I'm sure as you are thrown into the field, you have a million and 10 questions. And often in this line of work, there, there seems to be a stigma of you have to you know, know what you, you should know everything and, and you can't show weakness. And so I'm curious, like, what was that process like for you as a new attorney, like needing to ask questions? Yeah. So um, I was nervous about it because I felt like, yeah, you know, I went to law school. I had my four-year degree in physics. I should know stuff. Why, why don't I know this? Um, I, I generally tried figuring it out on my own first because uh, that's, that's how you learn. Uh, but when I couldn't figure it out, I, there were a number of attorneys at uh, the firm that I started off at that I felt comfortable going and talking to. Uh, there was another one, you know, there was one that was an associate. That, there were actually a couple associates that were uh, just one or two years ahead of me. And they were kind of the first uh, person, people that I would go to, to ask questions. Uh, but then there were a couple of other more senior attorneys um, that uh, I would ask if, you know, I couldn't get the answers I needed from either myself or from the associates. But fortunately for me, most of the attorneys I've worked with have been just generally decent people and we're happy to help out. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that there was a uh, a space where you could could ask questions and, and learn and, and feel confident in that. So that's awesome. I would love to follow up with a question that is about some of the changes that you've seen in the field. So you mentioned that you've spent a great deal of time, you know, in technology. And I'm curious, just from kind of a a high, high perspective, you know, maybe from the time that you started as an attorney to maybe 2021, um, what what are some of the changes that you've seen in 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 this field? Like, it, like in the technology? Yes, technology and or attorney, if there's anything, I suppose. Uh, yeah, so uh, let me give you a good example. Um, I mentioned I did some work in fiber optics. Um, one of the clients I was working with, when I first started working with them, kind of the, the standard communication rate for their lasers. Um, so with, with their lasers, they're basically flipping it on and off multiple times a second to encode information in a light signal. Um, and the kind of the faster data rate at the time was probably around one gigabit per second. Um, and that was around 2008. And I know that um, I, I haven't worked with this client for probably two years, but as of about two years ago, they were developing lasers that could communicate at... Um, I want to say 200 gigabits per second. So a 200 times increase. <laughs> I mean, that, that's huge. 
that, that, that's a big increase. You can put way more data in a signal doing that. Um, Legal-wise, uh, I mentioned this case that came out in 2014. Mm -hmm. It was It's called ALICE, relates to Section 101 subject matter eligibility. That has been kind of a thorn in our side since it came out. Now, granted, prior to ALICE, I think um, there were patents getting granted that probably shouldn't have been granted. So the pendulum has swung from being too easy to being maybe a little too hard. Uh, it was especially hard when Alice first came out. It started swinging back towards the middle. Um, the problem I see with it is that the the way these 101 subject matter eligibility rejections are being handled, I think they could just as easily be handled with prior art rejections. Um, but it, it's probably much more detailed than is worth getting into in this podcast. Uh, what other changes have I seen? Um, so. This has been an interesting change. Associate pay, starting associate pay has gone up uh, just about every year, but the budgets that many clients are willing to pay have not gone up uh, by the same amount. And so what this means is that as a new associate, you have to be more efficient uh, now than I had to be um, 15 years ago when I started. Because for us to pay associates more, we have to charge the client more to be able to cover that increased cost. So uh, I think we're finally starting to see that um, clients are finally at a point where they're willing to pay more. Now, they're, at AMLA 100 firms, they've been able to demand more for their um, patent budgets, but the the demands there are different than what they are at a small uh, medium sized regional firm like the one that I'm at. Personally, I think I've got the better end of the deal. I'm not making as much, but it's worth every unearned dollar. Sure, sure, great insights, Paul. And I would love as we kind of close out this session, I would love to just hear from your perspective. Maybe if you were talking to 18 year old Paul, um, what advice would you give in terms of career? Uh, I, you know, I think <laughs> I, I enjoy many parts of being a patent attorney. I don't enjoy the billable hour and some of the other aspects of being a, an attorney. Um, so I might, I might, uh, tell 18 year old Paul, uh, maybe investigate other options before you settle on being a patent attorney. Um, I, I actually think I would really enjoy, um, teaching at a university. I would love to teach physics or math. Uh, I would love to be a college professor. But, you know, the, the pay is not the same. What, one of the things I really love about being a patent attorney is it's a great career. The compensation is, is really good. Um, and so there are certain aspects of my life, of my lifestyle that I wouldn't be able to uh, have if I didn't have this, um, the career that I'm in. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I would have chosen differently, but uh, it would just be worthwhile to investigate other options before uh, making a, a final decision. And I've still got options now. You know, I, I could look at going and becoming an in-house patent attorney where I, you know, I, I'm an employee rather than uh, working for many different clients. I would basically just be working for one one client and I would be their employee rather than their outside counsel. But uh, yeah investigate more options. 
I think that's great advice. And, and especially early on in, in your career. And, and even now I would say there's, there's always opportunities to continue to design what you want your career to look like. And so yeah. um, I love, I love that idea of staying open, staying curious about um, things around you and, and seeking out those curiosities. So Paul, I want to say just a huge thank you for taking time out of your busy day to hop on the call today. I hope students have found this insightful. Um, you might be getting some emails from students, so I apologize in advance. That's <laughs> fine. You. I'm happy to talk to them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Yep, you bet. Thanks for your time. We hope you loved this episode of the USU Career Studio podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends and family.